Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and I'm on uh, 101.9 High FM on the Finding Human program and I am my own human today and my topic is a given moment. Abraham Maslow said, in any given moment we have two options, to step forward into growth or to step back into safety. It's really so good to be back with you, connecting on air. And most of our Jewish festivals fell on Tuesdays. And on the one occasion when they didn't, I was actually not able to step forward uh, into the growth of, of being back on the mic um, because I had had a bad inflammatory reaction to the second Pfizer and my joints had swollen badly. So I was hobbling around on crutches and a stick and um, feeling a bit sorry for myself. I have been asked if I have now become a, an anti-vaxxer and I think I need to say on air, quite honestly, that I definitely haven't. The pain that I have been in and am in at times will certainly pass. But the lives that lost to COVID can never come back. So I would say, please go and have your second vaccine if you haven't already. The year uh, that we've just had, the 5781, has been a really difficult one for so many people with its many challenges, unexpected challenges, many of them. And you will be hearing a very short YouTube a bit later on on our journey, but our path through life is never straight. And let's face it, I've said so often before on this program that it is filled with bumps, with potholes, especially in South Africa. And with surprises, sometimes of joy, sometimes anxiety and fear and sadness. But please, God, as we have entered 5782, we have learned how to live within the restrictions that COVID has put on us. And we will not face it with such unbelievable fear. I received an incredible um, uh, uh, quote uh, uh, Judy, I think you sent it to me and it was so beautiful and I'm actually just trying, oh here it is it's by L.R. Nost K-N-O-S-T and it says, do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world all things break and all things can be mended, not with time as they say, but with intention, so go love intentionally extravagantly, unconditionally The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is you. And I think that is something that we need to all remember, that we are unique. And within our uniqueness, we each hold our own light. Now, what are we choosing to do with this light? Are we going to keep it dimmed or are we actually going to shine a greater light out there into the world. 
How we face and walk this journey is our choice. And a given moment of time is exactly what that is. It's now. It's what are we doing with this moment, not this day, not this hour, not this week or this year, but how are we facing right now? For me, I'm connecting with all of you, and that is very meaningful to me. And I know quite a few of you are my friends listening in, so that too is is meaningful to me. It's It's wonderful. But let's also look at how the courage it takes to face all the different twists and the turns on our life's journey. The unexpected things that suddenly happen. And if you're members of a community, as many of us are, we the news of another community member lost to COVID or of a friend or relative hit by a life-threatening illness can honestly leave us reeling in shock and disbelief. And yet the seasons do keep changing, and spring and all its glory has arrived, and the welcome rains have also come on time. I think it was the birds, B-Y-R-D-S's, who who sang that song um, of the seasons, the changing seasons, which is just so beautiful. And it's true. And I looked at the beautiful spring colors, and the strange thing is that a driver was delivering uh, food um, this last week, and he remarked on how wonderful our garden looked, and he also really loved the smell of the garden. And after he left, I stood and stopped and took time to really observe the beauty of spring all around me. I had been so distracted by, by and concentrated on, on myself a lot and on, on what else was happening around me. And I hadn't really taken time to, to look around me. And it took someone else's observation for me to op- actually open my eyes to the reality of all my senses, to smell the beauty in the garden, to look at at the colors that were all around me and to hear the birds and um, the yesterday, today and tomorrow bushes in full bloom. So, of course, that was close to our front gate. So that was the smell he was picking up, but also the syringas. And even though I know the syringas are are not a good uh, tree for South Africa, my gosh, the the smell of them, especially in the evening, is, is beautiful. And so... I must admit that I re-looked at a lot because of the eyes of this delivery man. My daughter um, from from Israel has been staying for the last five or six months and had her baby here, two and a half months old. And her little girl of three and a half has been such an unbelievable teacher to all of us in our family. Seeing the world through the eyes of a three-and-a-half-year-old three has truly opened us to so many avenues of meaning. And, uh, you know, Viktor Frankl talks about the various avenues of meaning, and which I have been through before, and I will again. And he says that we can find meaning in three principal ways. The creative things we do, the uplifting things we experience, 
and the kind of attitude we have towards situations of unavoidable suffering and challenge. Now, the creator values are the, the values we experience through what we give to life. For instance, a task, a goal that makes us feel fulfilled as human beings. Later in the program, I will tell you about a woman who really used this creative value to heal herself and to give something to the world. Then, of course, the experiential values. And this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and it's good to be back with you again. And I am going through Viktor Frankl's various uh, ways to find meaning. And I mentioned the creative values, what we create through what we contribute to life, a task, a goal that makes us feel fulfilled as human beings. Then the experiential values, the blessings we receive from life, and these are manifested in what is good, beautiful, genuine, e.g. love, family, nature, music, art. Attitudinal values, values we experience through the attitude we have towards life, in, especially in unavoidable suffering. Now, I was telling you about my little granddaughter of three and a half, and I want to go through these values with you through her eyes. So the other day, talking about creative things, I, I came home and there was a pattern all over our patio um, in chalk. Beautiful, different colors. And I must admit, sometimes I find uh, the Play-Doh patterns on my carpets. But she's had a great time creating. And she sees it all as beautiful. And then her experiential values have really been Totally amazing. The other day, she said to me, can you see that elephant? And I said, what elephant? Where? And she said, up there in the clouds. Well, I hadn't looked at the patterns of the clouds for a long time. But sure enough, there was hovering above us a huge elephant. And it was good to watch, especially as it faded. And as it faded, she said, ah. He's become a castle, and there was a castle. Now, when did I forget the joy of watching clouds? It's such a free experience and so beautiful. Uh, since then, I've actually been watching clouds, and I've been watching the different colors of them and their movements across the sky. And then what about lizards and butterflies, birds, flowers, fish, dogs, she loves them all. And then her attitudinal values, the excitement when the gate bell rings. Now, whether it's someone delivering groceries, whether it's the chemist or a visitor, the excitement is the same. It is contagious and everyone is greeted with unbelievable enthusiasm and excitement. It makes me laugh just thinking about it because normally I just uh, answer the doorbell and say, if it's uh, it's a small parcel, please just put it through the gate. 
But no, she rushes out to actually welcome them with this ecstatic greeting. And uh, I must admit, Abraham uh, at his tent in the desert would be very proud of this little Israeli girl. Now, when did I forget to appreciate the doorbell ringing? When did I actually stop being, or start, should I say, being irritated by the doorbell ringing? She has actually made me recognize the full humanity of each person who does ring that doorbell. And it's quite amazing. And to realize the fact that we're actually not alone in this house. There is another human out there who needs to be acknowledged with gratitude. We need to connect with one another. Do you know, the other day, my husband and I were sitting in our TV room and we have a bird's tray just outside the room and it's always full of beautiful birds and there was a, a red colored barbet there and um, it's a red colored barbet uh, um, is or no it's a black colored barbet I'm sorry it's got the red face and black and it's 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 a very beautiful bird anyway it saw its reflection in the window pane and obviously it decided that it was another male entering its territory and it needed to protect its territory and become really quite vicious. So it flew straight at the glass, hitting it flat out with its beak. Um, we heard this clunk as it hit the window and both got such a shock. My husband um, said, silly clot. Well, I must admit, I also thought the bird was being a bit of a silly clot. Uh, we thought it was a once-off mistake. But oh no, this brightly coloured black and red bird proceeded to fly at great speed into the window pane at least another 25 times. We, we chased it away from the bird's tray and tried to get it to stop. But the moment we left and went back inside, it would come back onto the, uh, the bird tray only to arrive back and continue its attack. We actually thought we would have to resuscitate it eventually. However, a crested barbet, the master of the bird tray, I must, might add, and the aggressor of the bird tray, a beautiful yellow, black, red and white, all different colors, flew up and chased all the other birds away, even this great warrior who had been defending its honor by attacking the glass and its own image he was frightened off or perhaps it was a she apparently those barbets are actually both men women and the men the girls and the boys are the same so i rather like those barbets anyway they were frightened off now why do i actually tell you the story it might seem a bit insignificant but I tell you why I'm um, telling you the story. It's because in that angry bird's attack on its imaginary foe, I recognized, perhaps only afterwards when I thought about it, but I realized that I was watching a COVID drama or a per perceived threat play out. Now, mostly, initially, a lot of what we knew about COVID was anecdotal and through the media. 
And what the media gave us is not what is now coming out. And we we are able to also look up a lot more on Google and and get more info on it. But um, Alex Patakos, who's a logotherapist in America, speaks about the fog of fear. And I think initially that's exactly what surrounded us with COVID. It was this fog of fear because we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to hit us. We were being, we were being told of the, 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 the first lot of COVID that was, was hitting and we didn't know when it was going to start here. And what we need to understand is what is actually in our control. And the question that we need to ask is, are we safe right now? Not when we leave here and obviously go into shops and what have you, but right this minute, are we safe? And then we can start thinking of all the times that we actually allow the, the fear of COVID to overcome us. And, and it was almost like this foreseeable danger that we thought, all right, well, the business are going to go under. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what I'm saying to you actually did transpire. But at the time that we were actually asking, were we safe right then when we were hearing about what was happening everywhere? So there is this idea of a perceived safety. What is real? And we need to get the facts, not the anecdotal ones. We need to obviously take the necessary precautions and live each moment. I do believe that as time has passed, we have all learned to live within the restrictions of COVID to actually understand what is being asked of us, what is the responsibility that we actually need to, to look at, what is our responsibility and, and make sure that we and our families actually follow the guidelines that are, are given to us. Now, I wanted to tell you about this wonderful woman and her creativity. This is the most amazing story. And once again, Judy Erwig in Australia sent it to me. Thank you, Jude. It's called Through the Eye of the Needle. And it's the most amazing story about the art of Esther Niesenthal Krinitz, K-R-I-N-I-T-Z. If any of you have not seen this short YouTube, it's actually a little film, I really would suggest that you do so. It's called Through the Eye of the Needle. Now, Julia, uh, Julia Cameron, in her book, The Artist's Way, says, Creativity, like human life itself, begins in darkness. And this is what... Um, uh, um, Esther actually did. Through her art... She managed to explore the how to the capacity of the human heart to heal. With embroidery, she embroidered all the reflections who what she had remembered of the genocide and the acts of baseless hatred that she had had to face, and during the Holocaust, and um, she she. It's it's uh, the most amazing uh, story 
and YouTube to actually to to look at because it it shows you how in creativity we can actually learn to heal ourselves and what this is what she did more than 40 years after the holocaust she um it she it said a holocaust survivor's remembrances in uniquely beautiful stitched images and vivid accounts and it brings an uplifting life story to the screen well it certainly did i found myself so involved in the story as it unfolded. And this is more than 40 years after the Holocaust that Esther depicted her remarkable story of survival through a stunningly beautiful series of fabric collage and embroidery panels. And uh, she, she speaks about her daughters and her speak about how she healed as she did this. She was not always able to tell the story. It was too painful to tell. But what she did do is that she told the story through these images. These images are absolutely beautiful. I hope you all will actually think of looking them up. Now, another little story that I had that came through to me, which I also loved, was um, a story from it came on on a, a logotherapy group actually from Pan Paniotti. Thank you so much for this. And it said, "My dad has bees." And today's this she posted this. It was not her own words, but she posted this. My dad has bees. Today I went to his house and he showed me all the honey he had gotten from the house. He took the lift, lid off a five-gallon bucket full of honey. And on top of the honey, there were three little bees struggling. Um, just hang on one sec. I'm going to have to get back in a second to the story. This is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And I'm back with you again. And I was telling you the bee story. So let me just tell you once again, the, the, the person went to her dad's house. Uh, he showed her this five-gallon bucket full of honey. And on the top, there were these three little bees struggling. They were covered in sticky honey and drowning. Um, uh, oh, you know what? Sorry, I am a bit confused today. I'm very sorry. Thank you so much, Craig, for reminding me. We do have a YouTube, and it's by David Solomon, The Journey. Let's imagine you're walking down a city street, and you pass by a cafe, and you see a guy inside this cafe, and you know he's a traveler, and he's sitting there, and he's just got a notebook. And he's just writing, say, some notes about his travels. And he's exuding a certain calm. <clears throat> and you say to yourself, why can't I be as calm as that? Here I am running around the city and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, I'm at a, and, and, and I walk past this guy and he's like, he's probably got five bucks in his pocket and he's bought a cup of coffee and he's sitting in this cafe just calmly writing in notes oh I know why that is because he's on holiday I bet back in his own city he's one of the guys that's running around being all functional and it's 
only because he's here on holiday. And in fact, you'd probably be right. That guy in his own city probably is one of those functionally harassed people. And he's here on holiday. And you are the same when you go on holiday. You can sit in cafes and you can write and whatever. Do you never stop to ask yourself, wait a second. It's not about the physical location. It's about the mode of consciousness. There is absolutely no reason in the world that I couldn't take an hour a day and sit in a cafe and write notes and exude calm and serenity. It is only because of a mode of consciousness. Oh, I'm on holiday or I'm in another city. Sometimes you're not even on holiday. You go to another city for work and you suddenly feel liberated. You've changed your environment. But why do you need to change your environment? Why can't you change your consciousness? Why can't you change your consciousness? Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with my topic, A Given Moment. And I must admit, I'm sorry about that a bit of confusion there. Uh, you can see I've been off air for quite a while. Thank you so much, Craig, for being there, listening, watching me and telling me what to do. And I want to also thank Abusi for also keeping us on air. If you would like to send a message, please do so on 34519 or you can telegram on 061-895-1019. Now you've just, you, you heard the story about the journey and there is a, a beautiful a quote and it doesn't actually uh, Somebody sent it to me, but it didn't say who it was who actually wrote it. And it said, every morning you have two options. Continue to sleep with your dreams or wake up and chase them. The choice is yours. So when he spoke about, um, when David spoke about uh, watching someone in in a in a cafe and thinking, oh my gosh, they must be uh, on on holiday. And why can't we do that? You know, so many people say, when I retire, I will travel. When I retire, I will do a hobby. I will learn a hobby. When I retire, I think I'm going to do pottery. Or it's and so it goes on. When I retire, when I retire, and. I hate to say this, but I've got to the age where I have realized that so many people who have retired have not fulfilled those dreams because there hasn't been time to actually fulfill those. So it is what this quote says. Wake up and chase your dreams. And the choice is ours. Leo Biscaglia also said, Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. So, so many times we actually stop ourselves. I know I do this myself. There's so many things that I need to do and I want to do. And I say to myself, you're getting older. You better hurry up and do it. Otherwise, you're not going to have time to do it. And yet, do I do it? No, I don't. But going back to a really caring story on the bees. Now, this time, I hope I managed to finish it. So there was the, the, the bees. And in this five-gallon bucket full of honey, and on the top of this honey were three little bees struggling. They were covered in sticky honey, and they were drowning. So the person asked her dad if she could help them, and he said he was sure they wouldn't survive anyway. I suppose this was a casualty of honey collection. 
I asked him again if we could at least get them out and kill them quickly so that they didn't suffer. He finally conceded and scooped the bees out of the bucket. He put them in an empty yogurt container and he put the plastic container outside. Because he had disrupted the hive with the earlier honey collection, there were bees flying all over the place. We put the three little bees in the container on a bench and left them to their fate. My dad called me a little while later to show me what was happening. These three little bees were surrounded by all of their sisters. Apparently, all of the bees are females. And they were cleaning the sticky, nearly dead bees, helping them to get all of the honey off their bodies. We came back a short time later, and there was only one little bee left in the container. And guess what? She was still being tended to by her sisters. When it was time for me to leave, we checked one last time, and all three of the bees had been cleaned off enough to fly away, and the container was empty. Those three little bees lived because they were surrounded by family and friends who would not give up on them, family and friends who refused to let them drown in their own stickiness and resolved to help until the very last bee could be set free. Bee sisters, bee peers, bee teammates, we could all learn a thing or two from these bees. I think that story is just so beautiful. And I must admit that so many uh, of, uh, in, in most of um, our communities around the world, a lot of communities are reaching out to help one another. And if COVID has shown us one thing, it has shown us that we cannot do this alone. We need to actually connect with one another. Worldwide, we are learning to connect, to actually see the humanity in each other, to see when someone is drowning, how we can help them. Now, that's not to say that we turn on CNN and we see the tragedies unfolding and we feel helpless because there's nothing we can do about them. No, we need to actually recognize where we can help, where our assistance is needed, and not take on the problems of the world. That is not what we are here for. Now, getting back to um, a- another thought that actually had come into my mind, and that was happiness, and how happiness is a vibration. It's an aura which attracts things to you. Like attracts like. Have you ever walked into a restaurant, perhaps, and as you get in or as you sit down at your table and you see someone else coming in and you see how the waiters, the other, other people are greeting them, are calling them over to say hello, to find out how they are, and you can see the joy on the the people, everyone around's faces, you can see the happiness that is being exuded by one person and it is actually flowing into a much greater space. And it's actually, I find it quite incredible to, to see. But if you're surrounded by negative people, 
that can also become that negative energy. And if that's who you are surrounded by, consider finding some other people more like-minded because negative people can suck you into their pit of despair. And shall I tell you something? Sometimes you don't even realize that you've fallen into that pit until you are drowning in this negativity and wishing that someone would, would throw you a lifeline. Well, not everybody is going to be throwing you a lifeline. So we have to become our own lifeline. We have to begin to have that aura around us. We need to show this happiness vibration. Actually put it out into the world. And I do think that COVID has made us question life. It's made us search and find our true essence which is very important. We need to look at what is important to us as I move forward into life. What no longer serves me? What is hindering my growth? Why am I here and who am I? Now, no one can give you that answer. You alone can answer that. And it's a hard question. And sometimes we do need to go into therapy to actually unpack our own protective shells that we built up over the years around us and actually see what's no longer serving us. What can we let go of? What can we hold on to? And uh, Leo Biscaglio, um, and I often say this, says, our strength is not measured by how long we, we can hold on, but rather how willing we are to let go. This is 101.9, and I am Sue Jackson. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and you're about to listen to a, a shortish YouTube by Dr. Russ Harris called the, the Three Happiness Myths. Popular ideas about happiness will make you miserable if you actually hold on to them too tightly, believe them too much, or let them dictate how you live your life. And there are three big happiness myths in particular that create this happiness trap. The first is the idea that happiness is the natural state for human beings. You know, if you give human beings food, water, shelter, and loving relationships, they're just gonna naturally be happy. You've probably heard this myth in many, many forms. The reality is that the normal state for a human being is an ever-changing flow of emotions. Uh, emotions are like the weather, continually changing. Uh, you, you wouldn't say the natural state for the weather is a warm spring, sunny afternoon. It's natural in winter that it's going to be colder, in summer it's going to be hotter. Uh, and so it is with our emotions. You expect to feel anxious in challenging situations with an uncertain outcome. You expect to feel fear when there's danger or threat present. Now, the second big happiness myth links to the first one, the idea that happiness means feeling good. If you look at most dictionary definitions of happiness, it's described as a state of pleasure or a state of contentment. Well, if this is your notion of happiness, then there's no such thing as lasting happiness. Because how long does a good feeling last? 
Think of the happiest day of your life. How long did a state of pleasure or contentment last before there was some frustration, disappointment, anxiety, irritation? If I were to define the word happiness, I would describe it as living a rich, full and meaningful life in which we feel the full range of human emotions. The things that make life rich, full and meaningful don't just give us pleasant feelings. Like Think about building loving relationships. Think about people that you love and care about and you spend a long time with. Do you have a relationship like that in your life that only gives rise to pleasant feelings? When relationships are going well, there's often wonderful feelings of love and joy, but all relationships come with tension and conflict and difficulty. If you're a parent, if you have children, then you know that having kids brings a huge amount of meaning and purpose and fulfillment into your life. But what other feelings does it give you? Now, when I ask this question to audiences at my public workshop, there's a big laugh, and then parents start calling out anxiety, guilt, frustration, anger, rage. You know, it's like amazing how these people that we love so much can arouse such strong, painful emotions in it. So uh, this holds true for really any meaningful life project from building a career from looking after your body from building a family uh, the things that make life rich full and meaningful give you plenty of painful emotions as well as some very pleasant ones and the third big myth that feeds into the other two is the idea if you're not happy you're defective more and more human nature is being pathologized as signs there's something wrong with you and you need some medication to fix it. The reality is that if you're not happy, you're normal. Life is difficult. You know, I, I ask my public workshops, is there anybody here who thinks life is too easy, that needs some more difficulty in their life? Anybody in this room that, that needs some more pain and suffering? You know, life is hard and challenging. Not always, but a lot of the time it is. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm actually going to have to start wrapping up in a moment, but I wanted to uh, stop with this about the happiness. Uh, there, there's so many different types of happiness, and um, it was with our first rain came, and even though uh, I was on my stick, uh, my, my little granddaughter said, let's go and dance in the rain, and sure enough, stick and all, we, we went out into the rain. We felt the cold water on our heads. We laughed as we lifted our faces up to the rain. And we gave a blessing for the, the blessing of water. We, we observed the trees being washed of all the dust. And I'm not joking, but both of us thought we heard them whisper their gratitude. Now, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's learning to dance in the rain. I'm going to be wrapping up now, and I do have a fourth advert that we will be, I mean, not advert, YouTube, by uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, my hero. Thank you again, Craig, and thank you all for listening. If you want to find your purpose in life, think about the following sentence where what you want to do meets what needs to be done. That is where God wants us to be.
So many of us have passions. And if you don't have a passion, take time out to discover it. Dream a lot. Fantasize a lot. Think what really would be a life you would really live for. Keep your dreams. Joseph dreamt dreams. A Jewish leader is one who dreams dreams. And that's what you want to do. But in the meanwhile, there's a world out there. And that world has needs for some things and not others. At some times and not others. And somehow or other, you have to connect to that world. And that is why I say your purpose in life comes when those two things meet. What you want to do and what needs to be done. And for each of us, it's different. But it's when they come together that you will know your purpose in life. And if you get it wrong one or two times, don't worry about it. None of us gets it right first time. I did not want to be a rabbi at the beginning of my career. I had an aspiration to be an economist. I had an aspiration to be a lawyer. I had a dream of being an academic. I didn't think of becoming a rabbi until really quite late. I was very conscious that we were short of rabbis. That's what needed to be done. But I never saw that that's what I wanted to do until one or two great rabbis, the Lubavitcher Rebbe being the most important one, lit that little spark, that flame in me. And all of a sudden, what I wanted to do became what needed to be done, and so I became the rabbi. So I didn't get it right until fourth time, until quite late in life. So don't worry if you get it wrong. And maybe it's not one thing throughout the whole of life. People I really admire are people who really live to the full one role and maybe discover, hey, you know, there's something new that needs to be done and maybe I need to shift direction. But you will always know when it's right because you want to do it and it needs to be done.